Hello, and welcome back to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. Now that we've got Goldilocks weather, not freezing or sweltering, you might be planning to spend some time outdoors. What should you do in case you have an emergency or you're on a hike, or how can you avoid finding yourself in an emergency situation? Here to help us plan our next hike is Dr. Brian Kendall, Clinical Assistant Professor and Clerkship Director at TTUHSC. Dr. Kendall is an emergency medicine physician, and he enjoys spending time outdoors. He tells us what he packs in his first aid kit when he goes hiking, the most common injury he sees among hikers, and what we should do in case of an emergency. To sum up, be prepared. Dr. Kendall, welcome to our podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and what you do here at the Health Sciences Center? I sure can. Uh, So my name is Brian Kendall. I am an emergency medicine physician here at Texas Tech Health Science Center with our emergency medicine residency. Within that residency, I am the clerkship director, so I help medical students uh, navigate the process of getting into emergency medicine, if that is what they are interested in. I'm also the faculty advisor for the EM Interest Group, which consists of mainly our first and second year TTUHSC uh, medical students who are interested in learning more about emergency medicine. Well, great to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, the weather is somewhat a bit nicer, and it's very inviting to go and spend some time outside. How can we prepare to go on a hike? Do we do things like load up on carbs the day before, drink a lot of water on days leading up to hiking? And how do we access our own physical ability to go on a hike? Of course. I want to preface this first off by saying that a lot of my first aid knowledge came from my experience in the Boy Scouts. I'm an Eagle Scout, and a lot of the first aid knowledge that I carry with me comes from my experience there and all the hiking and backpacking trips and things like that that I did. And I have a little anecdote to kind of prove my point a little bit about this being prepared. And really, it's about being prepared for those, the the simplest of things. When I was in eighth grade, we went to this northern New Mexico mountain range and at a place called Philmont Scout Ranch for about a two-week backpacking trip. And during that time, I ended up getting a fever which, you know, if you're at your home and you've got a little Motrin or Tylenol laying around, it's not a huge deal. But out in the middle of the woods on a two-week backpacking trip, it can be life-threatening. And luckily, my dad, who was with us, was able to find somebody who had some medicine that they were carrying with them. And I was able to, within 24 hours, kind of bounce back and, and continue on. And so I think a lot of being prepared for hiking is really being prepared for those simple things. We all think about, oh, I'm going to, if I go out hiking and I fall off a 50 foot cliff, like the, the, the odds of that happening are pretty low. But, you know, something like a headache or a fever or even uh, a cough that may be nothing in the comforts of our own home can be really life threatening when we're out in the wilderness. So I think some of the best things you can do to prepare to go on a hike are first off, know yourself and know your capabilities of, you know, what am I able to do? Am I, you know, limited by any kind of mobility? Uh, Am I an avid hiker and I go out 
constantly to prove myself and to, to, to stretch my limits? Or is this my first time ever hiking? You know, and, and so we really need to know the trail that we're going to be going on and making sure, too, that when we do go, that we have all the necessary tools to help us in those potentially emergency type situations. One of the best things that I think that people can do is choose a trail using, there's a website called alltrails.com, and I'm sure there are other ones out there too, but this one even has, you know, Lubbock trails listed on it, and it'll tell you the different elevation changes, and it'll give you a, a degree of difficulty, and has comments from other people who have hiked that same trail that will tell you about, oh, you know, it was a great trail, except for this part got really steep, so you may want to avoid that. So it's a, it's a great website to go to. I would say, too, that there's no need to alter your diet. I I'm a big proponent of, you know, we should be you know, having a healthy diet every single day. I don't want to ruin anybody's plans of having like a carb loading day, like, you know, going out to Orlando's or something and getting a bunch of pasta. That's fantastic. If you want to do that, that's great. But in the long term, it's better to prepare over uh, a longer period of time rather than saying, okay, well, I'm going to go on a hike for the first time tomorrow. I'm going to eat a bunch of carbs today. Probably one of the biggest things is being well hydrated and making sure that we are drinking plenty of water, especially a couple of days leading up to your hike. The goal being your urine should be clear or light yellow. That's the that's the best sign to tell you that, okay, I'm, I'm well hydrated enough to when I go on this hike, I'm not going to be running the risk of, of any kind of dehydration. So... How much water do we realistically need to take on our hike? Is it also, is it different for different times of the year? That's a great question. And that, I think the answer to that varies. I think we've all heard the adage of eight cups of water a day. And I think that's a very good place to kind of start. Some people may need a little bit more. Some people may need a little bit less. It's going to depend on your activity level throughout the day. It is going to depend on the season. If it's very hot outside, you're probably going to need a lot more water than that. Whereas if it's cold, you may need you know less water. I think sometimes we get a little bit tricked into thinking, you know, it's cold outside, I'm out doing something, I don't need to drink as much. It could actually be the opposite because you're wearing layers and you're going to be sweating, you know, inside your clothes and you can burn off just as much moisture in the cold as you can when it's hot outside. So I think being prepared by being hydrated before your hike, no matter what the conditions are, will put you in a good place to maintain your hydration, no matter what those conditions are outside. But yeah, eight cups of water a day, I think is a great place to start. If you're going hiking, you're definitely going to want to bring more than that, because chances are you're going to be expending more, more moisture than, than what you're taking in. What is the top or the most common injury or problem that arises among hikers? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, in my mind as an emergency medicine physician, I think of, you know, like mountain lion attack or, you know, something crazy. But honestly, it's sprained ankles. I think that's the, the biggest thing that you're going to find. Most people, when they go out hiking, they don't have those nice hiking boots. They don't have uh, the experience to kind of watch their feet and watch where they're going at the same time. So a lot of times it's people who step on a rock the wrong way and twist their ankle. Again, you know, a benign injury for the most part, not much you can, you need to do for that. If you're at home, it wouldn't be a big deal, but out on a hike, it can be really life-threatening. And again, another reason to go out hiking with a buddy, at least who can, you know, go get help if you need help or can help splint your ankle and help assist you out uh, out of that environment uh, to a to a safe location 
So sprained ankles, I think, are probably the most common one. Now, here in Texas, people think, you know, it's hot all the time. But I think there's some areas where people might get hypothermia or frostbite. How, how do we prevent that? Yeah. So I, again, I think that being prepared and starting your hike off knowing, okay, I'm going into an environment where it may get a little cold and looking at the weather reports and saying, okay, the location I'm going to is expected to have below freezing temperatures. Maybe I should delay this hike to another time. So I think potentially trying not to go on that hike. Now, if you feel like, okay, I've got to go, then dressing in layers is your absolutely best option of preventing hypothermia. So having a good base layer that will be able to wick away moisture, but also keep heat in is is very worthwhile. And then adding layers on top of that. So having, you know, a light jacket or a sweater, and then some sort of a jacket that will be windproof, as well as provide some more insulation will, you know, give you a lot of good layers to prevent hypothermia from setting in, as well as making sure that you're wearing appropriate headgear, and then pants and boots and all the all the usual things. I think that uh, if you start to see signs of hypothermia, which can be, you know, feeling like you just can't get warm, feeling like you are maybe having a little bit of difficulty with with clearly thinking about what you're doing, then that's the time to say, okay, I need to find shelter. I need to maybe build a fire or head back off this trail and get back to my vehicle and get to a, to a safe space. Is you know that that would be I would highly recommend doing that if you start to feel you know, those type of like confusion or can't get warm enough type symptoms coming on. As far as frostbite goes, again, making sure that you're covering parts of your body that are going to be the most exposed to the cold and have the least blood flow. So we think about our nose, our toes and our fingers. Those areas, you know, you can't waste any money on a good pair of wool socks or a good pair of, of thick, you know, cushioned socks that'll provide a lot of insulation to your feet, making sure that you have a, a good pair of gloves and making sure that if it's super cold outside that you're having some sort of a face covering on that will protect your nose and ears and all of that too. If you start to notice that you're having numbness in your fingers, that's one of the first signs that, okay, I, you know, I, I'm not no longer just feeling cold. I now can't even feel my fingertips or my nose or my toes that would tell you that you're at risk of having that frostbite and frostbite may already be setting in. At that point, you need to seek shelter, get warm, so build a fire and take off, you know, take off that clothing and, and either submerse your fingers and toes in very like hot, almost hot water to the point where, you know, you would think, you know, this is a, a, like a, like a hot tub temperature um, and rewarm your extremities as quickly as you can uh, to prevent that frostbite from worsening. Sometimes I feel that way walking across the parking lot. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> now on the opposite end, how do we treat or prevent heat exhaustion or heat stroke and dehydration. Yes, and I think this is a, a much more common thing to have to deal with in Texas. So preventing it again starts with good hydration and then watching that weather report and making sure, okay, I'm going to be going out. It's going to be very sunny. The temperatures are going to be warm. And it, everybody thinks, oh, it's got to be like over 100 degrees. It really doesn't. You know, if it's 
85 and really sunny and you're out there, you know, really exerting yourself, you can end up with heat exhaustion, heat stroke just as easily as you can if it's over 100 degrees. So wearing proper clothing again, so loose fitting clothing that's breathable and then some sort of like a, a hat, like a wide brim hat that'll keep the sun off of your face, but also again is a breathable material it will be very beneficial in keeping you as cool as possible. And then Again, the hydration aspect of this going out there uh, and, and being well hydrated is, is key. If you start to feel yourself get to a point where you know, you're getting very hot and feeling fatigued, then that's a time to go sit down, find some shade, drink some water, and, and let yourself, your body kind of cool off a little bit. Some early signs of, of heat exhaustion can be that you start to notice that you're not sweating as much as you were before. Again, maybe a little bit of confusion or feeling like you're not totally clearly, you're thinking clearly. The issue is that heat exhaustion going into heat stroke the person themselves may not even notice it. Heat stroke is, is just that. You start to have neurologic issues, uh, whether that's uh, you can't walk, you can't talk, you're delirious and not, not thinking correctly, and that can become very dangerous. So again, another strong reason to go hiking with a buddy, who you know, somebody who can go with you and, and be watching out for you as, just as you are watching out for them. What about animal attacks or altitude sickness? Is this something we should worry about? Animal attacks, I think the biggest animal attack you'd have to worry about, at least in this region, would be a snake bite. And so, you know, rattlesnakes are, are fairly common as well as uh, copperheads. Both of those are things that you would need to be aware of. This can be I, I done the best way just by, again, kind of watching where you're stepping and looking out for certain things like if it's the very first part of the day and it's really hot outside, you know, snakes and other animals are more likely to be out kind of sunning themselves. They may be on that trail that you're walking on. So just watching where you're stepping your feet, listening for those signs or that, that rattle. And again, walking with a heavier foot. This is not the time to be trying to sneak up or, or sneak around. Whenever I go hiking, I always walk with very heavy feet, making sure that I'm putting pr plenty of vibration into the ground. As most of the time, any of those critters will have scattered before you're anywhere near them. And don't go looking for snakes either. Don't go lifting up rocks or, or trying to find them. If you do see one, don't get close to it. Let it be. Find another way around it. Don't try to scare it off or anything like that. If you do happen to get bit by a snake, I think there's a lot of misconception out there about what you do for a snake bite. And the number one thing is, again, have your partner that you're hiking with call 911 immediately. Don't try to catch the snake. Don't try to take a picture of it. If anything, just have a mental image, be able to describe it. And then if you do find yourself with that snake bite, laying flat on the ground, trying to keep yourself as calm as possible. Don't, don't tie a tourniquet on. Don't try to suck the venom out. Just be as calm as possible and then get to safety. If you can wait where you are for emergency crews to come to you, if that's going to be the fastest way, then do that. If you need to evacuate the area to get to a vehicle or something of that nature, then do that. But do it in a, in a calm and efficient manner. It, that's also a good reason to, prior to going out to your hike, 
know where your resources are as far as hospitals or clinics, urgent cares, wherever you can go get urgent medical care, uh, that's where you need to be going. And so you need to have that information available, have also your coordinates or your address of where you're going to be hiking and know you know, in which general direction you are headed so that if you do get a hold of emergency personnel and they, for some reason, need to bring a helicopter in or an ambulance crew or something like that, that they know where they can find you. And so altitude sickness here, you know, elevation in Lubbock is around 3,000 feet. So we don't, in this, if you're just hiking in the Lubbock area, don't have to worry about that too much. But once we get above that mile of elevation, that's when we start worrying about things like altitude sickness. So that is definitely possible in our region, especially if you're heading out west towards New Mexico. Again, great ways to, to do that are taking your time when you're getting to your destination to acclimate to that new elevation. So, you know, maybe getting to your your destination a day or two before your actual hike, allowing your body some time to acclimate, staying well hydrated during that time will all help in things like preventing that altitude sickness. And if you start going on your hike and, and you're going and you start to feel significantly short of breath, more than just the typical exertional shortness of breath that you would expect with hiking, you start to have headaches and you start to have changes in your vision, any of those kind of things, those are telltale signs that altitude sickness may be setting in and you need to descend back down to wherever your base camp is, which will almost immediately start to improve your symptoms. What should we include in a first aid kit? And what are the basic first aid skills that we should know? I think that the perception out there is that a first aid kit has to be this you know, cumbersome, all-encompassing bag that has every single thing that you could possibly need in, in an emergency. What I have found, and in my experience with camping and hiking, is that most of the time you just need some basic items in there, and then you can improvise anything else that you might need. For instance, you know, people think about, oh, I got to go buy this fancy tourniquet, you know, just in case you know something guys has a bad laceration that we need to apply a tourniquet for. No, you know, most people wear a belt. A belt will work just fine. A t-shirt will work just fine. And there are ways to turn those things into more efficient tourniquets. And this is where YouTube is a great example, you know, so you can definitely use YouTube to learn different aspects of first aid and some definitely some good skills that you can use to improvise with whatever you may have in your kit. Some of the things on my list for a first aid kit include bandages and not necessarily band-aids, which great, you know, you can definitely bring some band-aids, but gauze and something to wrap around that gauze to create a quick bandage in, in the case of something like a snake bite where you want to keep it clean and covered, but you don't necessarily want to do anything like put a sticky Band-Aid on top of that that's difficult to remove in the future. A multi-use tool that has things like scissors and a knife and maybe some tweezers or something like that that are all encompassing in the one tool is, is very useful. Ace wraps or ace bandages for things like sprained ankles or you can use them to make a sling, other things like that. Oral rehydration salts and making sure again that you're bringing plenty of water and if you're going to a location where water is there are not going to be water stations set up or something, maybe looking into something like purification tabs or something that you can use to make more water if you find that you've drinking, drunken all of yours. 
antiseptic wipes like alcohol wipes or something of that nature, a topical antibiotic ointment that you can, you know, again, all available over the counter, as well as hydrocortisone cream for allergic rashes or exposures to bug bites or something like that. Mole skin is a very useful thing. Blisters are also very common on hikes. Moleskin is a, a special type of material that you can use to pad around a blister so that it doesn't rub while you're walking. Again, blisters can be life-threatening out on a hike too, because if you can't walk, you can't get yourself out to safety. And then th- things like pain and fever relievers, acetaminophen, ibuprofen, having a, you know, a good supply of those, antihistamines like Benadryl, and then a long-term antihistamine like Claritin for allergy or al- allergic type reactions, and then things for like an upset stomach. So like a Pepto-Bismol or Imodium also help. So those are the basic things that I think that everybody should have in a first aid kit. And then maybe looking at where you're going and saying, okay, I need to have maybe something a little bit more specific for this area that I'm going to be hiking in. Again, this is a place where I would strongly recommend getting online and looking at the resources available to make a first aid kit on your own. And then there are also ones that you can purchase. But usually for a cheaper cost, you can make one on your own with a lot of stuff that you already have hanging around your house. And then maybe just supplement here and there with a few more specific items. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Yeah, you know, I I think that the basic tenets of hiking are always, you know, go with a partner and making sure that the the preparedness is way more important than the hike. So if you're planning on going on a, you know, five or 10 hour hike, your preparedness should be going on for weeks in advance, right? You need to be saying, okay, I'm going to go on practice hikes and I'm going to go out and I'm going to put myself through a scenario where maybe there is an emergency, Uh, you know, pretend and say, okay, I'm going to, uh, this is how I'm going to get a hold of emergency personnel. And if I can't get a hold of emergency personnel, then this is what we're going to do next and have kind of, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, sitting there and making sure that our fitness level is appropriate for that. And so going out with all the the backpack that you're going to be using and the boots that you're going to be using and making sure that they're well broken in and used and not going to be rubbing in places where you may be at risk of getting a blister. You know, I want to have that the, your address as far as where you're going to be hiking, maybe the GPS coordinates, and know where that nearest hospital is. Taking a first aid course, I think, is fantastic. There's so many resources, again, on the Internet where you can teach yourself first aid, but even finding a local course that's being taught by somebody else that, you know, you can maybe go and, and enjoy and, be, you know, be around other people who are also interested in hiking might expose you to, to, to new ideas of where to hike and, you know, other people who are interested in it as well, but also give you that knowledge of, okay, uh, you know, and feeling that a little bit more secure of if something were to happen, I can, I can take care of it. Take plenty of water, and then just remembering that even a simple problem like a headache can become life-threatening out in the wilderness. Well, this is all great information. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo. 
Susanna Cisneros, Mark Hendricks, Kay Williams, and me, Melissa Whitfield. 